I want to thank Research Consultants International for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion in projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about research consultants. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic development organizations. Call them now. They can help you create real prospects. Welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group We Are Jobs podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. And today we've got Barry Broom with us. He's the president and CEO of the Greater Sacramento Economic Council. And Barry, I believe that's about a 20 community region there in the Sacramento region. Before that, Barry was in Phoenix, led the Greater Phoenix Economic Council. Before that, the Southwest Michigan First economic development organization. So Barry's run some very substantial organizations across the country. He's been featured in Forbes and Bloomberg and CNBC. So Barry, we're, we're honored you'd be with us today. And uh, we're recording this the day uh, before our podcast air. So the Wednesday of coronavirus, March 18th. So I told him we got to talk a little bit about coronavirus. And I can't think of any economic development expert been in as, as good a spots as you have around the country. So you may have some good perspective. So thank you for being with us today. Happy to be here. Yeah, why don't we start with coronavirus? So tell us kind of what you're seeing, and if you were economic developers, what you recommend they be doing, and, and maybe uh, nobody's got a crystal ball, but how long you think it might take us to recover from this? You know, recognize the social distancing. I think one of the things that we've run the risk of is, you know, we underestimated it. I certainly underestimated it. I, you know, as I always said, I was on a call with my board yesterday, and, you know, we're getting orders now you know, I've got board members that are closing manufacturing facilities in Northern California. That is a lot of money off the table for those companies. And they're asking me if it's an overreaction. And, you know, I really don't think it is because we don't understand this disease. And I think keeping people healthy is really the most important thing. And I think it's going to take us, you know, probably into June and July for business practices start to normalize. Obviously, the scariest thing in the world is to watch CNBC Squawk Valley right now. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know. I saw it this yeah. afternoon. I don't know if you saw the, the guy with Person Square or whatever it was. He's yeah, scared. Bill Ackerman. I yeah, did. Yeah, I mean, he scared everybody to death today. Yeah, yeah, I did. He, he scared me to death. <laughs> but, you know, I got all my country boyfriends back in Ohio that are sending me pictures, you know, in bars in St. Patrick's Day. So, I actually sent them Bill Ackerman saying, here's a Trump supporter who's a free market capitalist. When you're done listening to him, if you still want to go out in bars and pound beers and hang out with your friends, you know, then you have yourselves to blame. So let's keep everybody safe. 
hunker down. And then, of course, I think in the next two or three months, markets will start to normalize. It's a great time to be an economic developer. You know, whenever I build organizations, I always tell my team, nobody needs you when it's three and a half percent unemployment. You know, they're tossing money in your organization. You're running around. You're getting some nice wins. People feel good. But, you know, having been in Michigan in the early declines of Michigan's economy, 1999 to 2006, having been in Phoenix for 2008, the profession is most needed when things are most dire. Our ability to command the data and the evidence on the market, control and motivate the cultural thought process behind on how to attack the economy, and then, of course, to be able to execute, you know, region-wide, a community strategy that puts your best foot forward. So we're well positioned as an organization to lead our community. And this is the call to duty and call to action that makes us an exciting profession. I totally agree. You know, one of the things we do are executive searches for economic developers. And, and here lately, we've had a whole lot of search committees and boards tell us, hey, unemployment's 3% or 2%. We don't know if we need any more jobs. And and it's always kind of knocked me over because I, I remember 2008 and nine, and, and I don't think you're going to hear that anymore. I, I think you're exactly right. If anything, this will make the profession even more important. I know before we got online, you told me you all were calling on site selectors virtually. So what advice would you give economic developers out there of how to, how to use this next month or two? Maybe they don't have a lot of prospect activity, uh, how to use it online to at least be prepared once this thing does start to turn around. Well, one of the things we're going to do in the next two months is completely map our market. I think one of the things that's really hard to do is stay on top of the data on where your market is beyond the public licenses that you control. You know, and I'm not talking about housing starts and who's moving there and things like that. But, you know, this is a great time to scrub those NAICS codes and really get into, you know, do you have a small emerging economy around FinTechnology that, you know, you didn't realize, you know, what are, where are the movements in your market that you have ignored just because you've been managing a top line growth? A lot of times, like, you know, I've had the pleasure of being in Phoenix, which is, you know, a top 10 U.S. market, big airport, great business environment. You're shortlisted all the time, you know, and then I've been in Southwest Michigan first with Kalamazoo in that region. And then obviously, you know, launching this organization from scratch, you know, not a lot of people were beating the doors down to come look at Sacramento because of California's tax and regulatory position. And, you know, we're 72 miles from Silicon Valley. So here's an opportunity for us to get a better handle on our market position, but also reposition our market. A lot of the audiences you can't get, you can get now, you know, so before this call, you know, we were online with one of the top guys in the country in New York, and he gave us a half hour of his time because guess what? He's not on an airplane. All of his projects have been suspended for six months. So a lot of the top consultants in Atlanta, New York, Boston, LA, Seattle, the Bay Area that don't give you a lot of time, you know what? Their projects are all suspended by six months. They're repositioning their markets and what they're doing. It's a great time for economic developers to go out and educate the consulting network. So rebuild, reboot your analytics on your market good time to get outreach to people that normally wouldn't give you their time because they're too busy and then repositioning our own organization as a recovery and surge organization, right? So big emphasis on retention, expansion, gardening, new venture creation. One of the things that we do is we build an organization designed to be a complete economic development organization. So we don't just do business recruitment. You know, we do business formation, 
we do retention expansion. And then of course we do, we always like to refer to ourselves as we work on investment in jobs. So I think repopulating and reestablishing good economic development practices in your region among your peers is going to be really strong. And then of course, you got to be the face of your community and you know, you got to bring optimism to the table. And I really feel like our region is going to be a star of California and we're going to set new standards of excellence as a community in the next two years. And let's transition to talking about your region. So I don't want this to be all coronavirus or doom and gloom. Uh, I know you all are doing a whole lot of impressive things with your medical innovation district that you're working on. So I think it's called Aggie Square, if I remember. So talk a little bit about that and and some of the good things going on in that regard. You know, we, um, and I started this in Michigan. You know, I work really hard with my universities. A lot of times universities are treated as supplemental assets in a community. You maybe do some branding with it. But I tend to really integrate my economic strategies with my universities. And then I try to expand who my universities are, because a lot of times, you know, we address universities culturally. University of California, Berkeley is an hour and 15 minutes from downtown Sacramento, and it's typically rated the number one public university in the United States. But institutionally, we've let that be called Silicon Valley's institution. So historically, you know, we've started to go in and go, well, hey, this, you know, we're the number three market for Berkeley alumni. Why in the heck is Cal Berkeley not part of Sacramento's offerings? Between Cal Berkeley and UC Davis, we have $2 billion in sponsored research and the number one and number five universities in the United States. And of course, our hometown anchored university is UC Davis. And UC Davis has the number one veterinarian school in the world, top 20 medical school, and top two agricultural and food science school in the world. So we're a world-class science community. We have never really capitalized on that. So our chancellor and our board and our mayor has led a team to develop something called Aggie Square. It's a $1 billion project. It breaks ground in November. It's fully capitalized. So I've been on the phone today making sure that project still goes forward. Everything's a green light on that. Uh, we have 31 companies already committed to it. We're under non-disclosure agreements, but some of the companies that are publicly announced are like IBM, GE Health. You know, I can't talk about all of them, but that's pretty exciting for a community like Sacramento, which we're really the best way to think about Sacramento is we're a little, we're more innovative than Nashville, but not quite as fun. You know, we're a little more innovative than Indianapolis and Columbus, but not quite as easy to do business. So, you know, our goal is to move into a top-tiered, second-tiered market position, along with Columbus 2020, the Nashville guys. You know, Kenny's done such a great job in Columbus. You know, a lot of good talent there. Indianapolis. So how do we build, you know, a mid-tiered, upper-tiered metropolitan strategy? How do we build it around our university? So Aggie Square is going to focus on self-therapeutic development. So if you look at how you get, if you get sick now, you get chemistry. We make a, a pill that treats arthritic pain and they give the same pill to Alex that they do to Barry, that they do to Tom. And, you know, we're all taking the same drug, even though we're very different. You know, the hope behind regenerative medicine, which is the center of excellence at Aggie Square, is that we can now take your own healthy cells in combination with some other medical treatments and not help you manage a disease like high blood pressure but actually help you cure a disease. So what's exciting about Aggie Square is its capacity to deliver regenerative medicine solutions that lead to total cures for what now are going on as disease management. And then of course, we have a very powerful gene editing platform that's gonna go along with it. 
top eight comprehensive cancer center in the United States is at Aggie Square, you know, top 20 medical school. And then we have connections to our veterinarian and ag and food schools that are world-class. And uh, Wexford is doing the development out of the East Coast. So if you know anything about Wexford, they've had a lot of success doing knowledge communities. So it's really going to be our shining example of how powerful our universities can contribute to our economy. Now, if you don't know the California university system, we have the University of California systems, which is like UCLA, Berkeley, and UC Davis. They're primarily R1 universities. You know, they produce doctors, they issue PhDs. And then on the other side of that, we have the California State University system. That would be like San Diego State, San Jose State, Fresno State, and in our case, Sacramento State. So Sacramento State is developing, is in the lead of something called the mobility platform. So we have a partnership with Pem Motion out of Aachen University in Germany, who's built most of the really strong hardware plays for European automotive and mobility companies. Now, of course, you know, California is a national and global leader on carbon-free economies. So all of what our mobility center will be doing under the leadership of Robert Nelson from Sacramento State and our utility SMUD under Arlen Orchard is to build the hardware components to things like building out Tesla supply chain, supporting the software and digital achievements of the Bay Area. So our goal is to be a complementary and supplemental market to the Bay Area and Silicon Valley where we can provide cell therapeutic capabilities. A lot of the drug candidates are in the South Bay and in Mission Bay in San Francisco, provide the hardware, you know, engine, powertrain technology capabilities to all the really sophisticated software engineering you see going around Uber and Lyft and companies like that. So those are kind of our two anchor institutional plays. Beyond that, we've got about $1.2 billion in venture capital under management. 2014, we had $15 million. So the beauty of being near Silicon Valley, if you start doing things like venture capital funds, even though that isn't something that was proliferating in Sacramento, you know, you have a lot of business people that are comfortable and knowledgeable of the funds because they've seen Sequoia Venture Capital and Kleiner Perkins and they've seen the Google exits. So we're developing a really strong capacity to build venture capital capabilities. So the goal for us is as companies spin out of our universities, we can capitalize them. Emerging companies in the Bay Area that are squeezed out by price instead of leave California, they can locate in the Sacramento region, you know, get a 50% reduction in cost and still be able to capitalize on technology and invention. And then the other ironic piece to this job is, you know, we've done really well on headquarters, you know, so Centene's doing 8,000 jobs in Sacramento where they're West Coast headquarters. And we've had, you know, a dozen really interesting small emerging companies. Applied Spectra would be one Japanese company, relocated their headquarters from the East Bay to Sacramento. So ironically, we're getting headquarter locations, which I think is very interesting, uh, doing very well on the mobility and life science technology. And we're now moving into more e-commerce technologies like FinTech. We'll have to see how the dust settles, but we were building a really strong, competent, economy around our universities, taking advantage of our geographic location, and figuring out how to execute a plan that we were successful in and sort of avoid the competition of Texas, right? So if it's 2,000 jobs, you know, Texas has got a zero income tax position, uh, the state can use incentives. I mean, we just get blown out trying to compete for 2,000 jobs. But you know what? If you want 2,000 jobs, you can get 50 companies with 40 employees. 
and those companies are engineers. We've, we've had companies come here with four people that are at 200 employees now. So we've been focusing on these small merging companies we can bring in. You know, we give them a or $200,000 development grant. We build their venture base out. We put a go-to-market strategy. And guess what? You know, they're still 72 miles from their long-term venture funds. They're 72 miles from Stanford. You know, so if you want to go back into Silicon Valley and partner with Stanford venture capitalists, have proximity to San Francisco, you can still do that an hour and a half away. And then we've built our own localized capacity to where we can kind of carry our weight in an emerging company play. So those have been our models and they've been working pretty well for us. Well, I think after this downturn, I think people are going to even more want to diversify. I, I was already hearing, hey, we don't need the 4,000 job manufacturing plant anymore. We need 100, 400 job companies to, so that we don't have one big bust and then the whole economy takes it. So I think if nothing else, this is going to just shed light on that more. Talk about what you're doing for economic inclusion at, at Aggie Square. I know that's really a big part of what you're looking to do there. Yeah, so one of the challenge, you know, and I give Governor Newsom a lot of credit. I mean, he has publicly said we're both the richest and poorest state in the nation. And, you know, one of the things that's always frustrating for an economic developer is, you know, we're it's our nature to put our best foot forward, but I always have a philosophy that externally you're putting your best foot forward. Internally, you're having hard conversations about what's really going on in your community. You know, and I think one of the things that I don't like to see economic developer leaders do is to sort of, you know, cheerlead internally in their community all the time. You got to believe in your community. You got to be excited about it. You know, your job to cheer and promote and, put your best foot forward is when you're external. But when you're internal, you should be sitting down with your mayors and your city managers and talking to them about the real faults in your economy. So when I came here in 2015, we were the second worst place in the United States at getting jobs to young people. And we had an incredible divide between Latinos and African-American families and participating in the economy. So the challenge in California is the economy is extraordinarily sophisticated. So if it gets down to where it's a production economy and you're bending metal and hiring, you know, a thousand guys for 20 bucks an hour, you know, those things usually end up in Nevada or Texas or Arizona where 20 bucks an hour, you can still get a house, you know, in some places. You're not going to get that in California. What we've sort of done with inclusion is, you know, why do we continue to look at young adults, young people of color as a liability? We have to give them maintenance income or free lunch programs and rental assistance and things like that. Why don't we look at part of our community that's not participating in the economy as the workforce bandwidth, we can actually integrate into growth. And so we built a strategy five years ago around inclusion. We worked with uh, Bob Weisborn. If you don't know Bob, he's out of Chicago. You should have him on your show sometime. Super smart guy. I retained him in Phoenix on some strategies, and he's one of the brightest guys I've met at really understanding how an urban economy plugs into a regional economy and lifts everyone. So uh, we were 91 out of 100, and among our peers, two weeks ago, we got our data. We were the second most inclusive economy in the U.S. five years later among our peers. So we went from almost last to second, but it was very intentional. And, you know, we had to fight the gentrification stuff, right? Words we're not going to hear for a while, right? Yeah. I bet Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would like the uh, Amazon deal right now. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. think she'd like 25,000 jobs paying 150 grand? Uh, yeah, you can bet that. So, you know, I always have a saying when it comes to politicians and communities, 
don't like don't get too big for your britches and don't get smarter than you are. In yeah. the day you're turning down twenty five thousand Amazon jobs, you got to go get your head examined. Because lo and behold, all those retailers and all those small businesses are going to get washed out in the Bronx. And wouldn't they love to be restarted with twenty five thousand six figure jobs? But instead, that's going to be in Northern Virginia. Thank you, Barry. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners, and we'll be back with a lot more with Barry Broom after this message. If you want to join our movement, which is to create economic growth for small to mid-sized companies, communities, and nonprofit organizations, please go to our website at thenextmovegroup.com. Browse around, and you can see the different services we offer, all designed to create that economic growth for the small to mid-sized companies, communities, and nonprofit organizations. Most of our leads and growth has come from word-of-mouth referrals. So even if you don't need a service, we want you to know what we do. So when friends and contacts of yours might need something, you know what we do and you can refer us. So again, go to thenextmovegroup.com to learn more about The Next Move Group. Man, you and I preaching the same. I've either heard you talk or you've heard me talk before. And, you know, I live in downtown New Orleans. I'm so proud to see here our economic development leaders have have really recruited some major league software companies. I mean, yeah. You know, by the thousands of jobs in, in, in downtown New Orleans. I'm not talking out in the outskirts. I'm talking in downtown. And uh, so having seen what that's done for New Orleans, and then you yeah. compare the Amazon deal up there, that, that was a head scratcher. Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of, so the battle on inclusion is, you know, you got to manage, you got to have gentrification for there to be inclusion in the economy because the investments have to be the, near the neighborhood. So one of the reasons there's a multitude of reasons that people get left behind in the economy. One of them is the job's too far away, right? That's why we rebuilt these cities the last 20 years. You know, you can't have all the jobs in Arlington, Virginia. You got to have some of the jobs in DC. You can't have all the jobs in Cambridge. Some of them got to be in Boston. And so, you know, we reverse engineered very hard to bring these jobs to the core. They did spike rents. There was some negative effect to people who live on the edge of the economy. But when you bring that kind of investment to neighborhoods that have traditionally been poor and disadvantaged, you raise all the incomes up of everyone in that neighborhood. And so Aggie Square is the crowning achievement of elevating the incomes in these economies. And I bet right now a whole bunch of people would like to see us break ground on that billion dollar project. Three, four, five, six months ago, we were fighting everybody to do it because all they kept talking about was the possibility of rents rising. So the market tends to do a very good job at correcting itself. So if you got a $1 billion project with UC Davis, step on the gas. If Amazon wants to give you 25,000 jobs, you might want to take it because you're going to roll out of bed one day and find out that you need every job you can get. And I think Amazon's going to come out of this doing pretty good. <laughs> so yeah. Well, they're hiring 100,000 people and you can bet. You know, you can bet when we get our Cronus virus test, it's probably going to land in our doorstep from Amazon. We're going to be able to take it ourselves, put it back in a box and know where we're at in eight hours. I, I predict Amazon's going to be one of the most crucial companies at getting testing. And they're hardball players. You know, if you ever go into Seattle, you know, they don't like Amazon because Amazon's really disrupted the Seattle culture, which is really gracious, positive culture. You get a bunch of guys from New York, you know, coming into your town, scaling a company, you know, they're not always that fun to work with, but those jobs and incomes are going to stabilize those communities. And everything's moving to e-commerce even more now than ever. 
And isn't it, wouldn't it be great to have Amazon in your community? So I think our inclusionary story is a great one because, you know, we moved the needle from being almost to the bottom to second in the country. But that was a very specific objective to bring training dollars to a community. So we passed a $650 million sales tax to help capitalize Aggie Square and to help build capacity in the neighborhoods. And 41% of the people in the Oak Park neighborhood, which was historically a low-income neighborhood, had an average of a $250,000 increase in equity in their homes. So that's part of the gentrification people story people don't tell. But, you know, if you bought that house 20 years ago in Sacramento, you might have paid $18,000 for it. 20 years later, it's worth $450,000. You know, that and Social Security is going to be what people retire on. Yeah, that's right. So, so we've, we've done a great job on inclusion, and I'm really proud of that work. Tell our listeners a little bit about the California Mobility Center. Yeah, so that's the partnership with Penn Motion. When we were working about three years ago, I had an engine technology company from Germany come into Sacramento. Small engine technology, about four engineers. As I said, you know, those are the, we target a lot of those companies because, you know, the productivity of California's economy and the capital-rich nature of California economy really helps those companies scale. Unfortunately, when they get ready to hire 2,000 people, you know, they put those in Texas because they get the business environment. So we understand our market position. So we got these guys in and they had this really cool engine technology they were developing with Ford and it was perfectly prototyped. And I'm like, well, how the hell is four guys come up with the money to perfectly prototype an engine that actually could scale in a manufacturing relationship with Ford? And they told us they had a partnership with Aachen University. So I flew to Germany, met with Aachen University and brought a team of people and they can prototype engine technology for five cents on the dollar compared to what you'll see. So with autonomous and connected vehicles, right, you're going to see electric vehicles go through the roof here in the next two or three years. You know, there's a hardware play there too. How do we build a supply chain for Tesla? You know, Tesla's, you know, 68 miles away in Reno with their gig factory and their headquarters is 68 miles away in Fremont. You know, so one of the things we were looking at is how could we build a supply chain for the gig factory in Reno and the head OEM in Fremont. And of course, we brought this company in and out of Germany. And so Aachen University privatized basically their tech transfer office, a lot like Stanford Research Institute did at Stanford, you know, SRI. University of Chicago has twice privatized Arizona State has privatized their tech transfer office. And so it's a company called Penn Motion, and we're now their U.S. headquarters. So there's four engineers on the ground building a ramp-up facility so we can prototype hardware for Bay Area and Silicon Valley companies. And then, of course, what we hope to be able to do is reconstruct a supply chain for Tesla so that we're able to supply Tesla with the supplemental products that they need to scale as a company, and then maybe play off that gig factory. So we'll be able to do policy work since we drive most of the carbon-free policy for mobility here in Sacramento with the state capital, engineering services, startup services, and then contract research services for small companies. Well, as we wind down, I want you to put on your your more professional development hat. And uh, you, you have been Economic Developer of the Year in Arizona, 
You were named Economic Developer of the Year in Michigan. Your list of accomplishments just go on and on. We have a lot of young folks who are kind of new in the profession that listen to our podcast. Uh, given your accomplishments and the, and the jobs you've had, the success you've had, if you had to give advice or encouragement to, to some folks who've only been in the profession four or five years and kind of thinking about where they go and how they get there, uh, what might that be? Well, there's a couple things, you know, because I've trained and developed a lot of young guys, you know, Chris Camacho in Phoenix, Rod Miller in Puerto Rico, Janet Labar. You know, I had Janet Labar and Chris Camacho work together for me for eight years as my co-number twos. <laughs> Chris that must have been easy then. Yeah, it was really easy. Well, their jobs weren't. They're the closest thing to having had Bobby Knight for a boss, you know, I was pretty hard on. But, you know, they're both big stars now in the industry. So here's what I tell every young professional. You know, when I get up in the morning, I get on a phone call with a venture capitalist and I talk about science and technology. And then an hour later, you know, I'm in a room with a developer talking about building a glass tower in the middle of our downtown. Then I go across the street and I meet with the university faculty and we look at new inventions that are going to change public and human health for decades. And this is what I've been doing for a living for 31 years. And, you know, I live in community and work with my community. I'm connected to thousands of incredibly bright and talented people and the ability to serve your community as an economic developer. And I've been doing it 31 years. I'm 58, you know, and I always say, thank God I'm an economic developer. And so I think it is an incredibly intellectually, if you choose, if you choose to operate the right way, you know, don't be political. You know, the town doesn't need another politician. I tell every CEO that runs an economic development, we don't need another politician. You've got to have political skills, but your value is you're a leader, not a politician. You're a civic leader. And if you emerge as a civic leader in your community, you will have some of the most exhilarating experiences of your life. Two, the work, if you buy into the work, it's completely fascinating. And then three, you know, you can make a great living. I mean, these are not low-paid jobs. You know, going rate for a finished CEO now is $550,000 to $800,000. bucks. And if you can imagine when I was doing this, uh, I was hoping I'd be able to buy my wife a blouse one day. You know, I, mean, I, I, uh, I have an aversion to turkey bologna because when I started working in nonprofits, all I could afford was turkey bologna. But one day I saw Rick Weddle. You know, and Rick Weddle was in a nice suit. He looked like a business executive and he was making a lot of money and he drove a nice car. And I'm like, damn, I guess I don't have to just sit here, you know, and be on the end of this thing as a nonprofit neighborhood organizer. I could probably move up and get one of them fancy suits that Rick Weddle wears. So, you know, Rick Weddle was one of my idols early on. And I would tell all the young people, you know, think about right now, you're probably the most important leaders in your community. You're more important than the educators. You're more important than the city manager. You know, we now get to show people the magic of being able to pull a community together, build public-private partnerships, motivate people for change, and get your community down a path of confidence that they can work and be skilled at and they can be proud of. And if that doesn't excite you professionally, you know, I don't know what else can. So I always say, I always tell all the young people working for me, I wake up every morning, and I ask myself, what's my dream? I've never had a job. 31 years as an economic developer, I never had a job. I always had a dream. And I get up and pursue that dream. And then I connect that dream to my board and my communities. And then we all get inspired to work together. And when you have the outcomes that change the future of your community, I will tell you, it, it's the most wonderful experience you'll ever have as a person. And right now is go time. The American economic development community right now is go time. 
we're the Marines, you know, we're the special forces, we're the Navy SEALs. It's our time to be the smartest, toughest, most determined leaders in our community and to pull America back on track and lead your community to the promised land. You got me fired up with that. One last question. What's on your dashboard in normal times? This may be different in this economy with the coronavirus, but we do have some mayors and some board chairmen in various communities that listen to our show. How do you track success? How do you make sure, uh, you know, some of them I think sometimes think success is just, you know, what's the next hundred job ribbon cutting? I can tell in talking to you, you're a very data-driven guy. What do you think are the most important metrics to track? How do you know that you're really moving the needle? I'm sure it's more than just what's the unemployment rate. We went from four and a half to 3.6 unemployment. But what we really did is, you know, we were 91 out of 100 in inclusion and we went to two. You know, so to me, it's a social progress measurement. You know, what is going on with the incomes of your people? Are you driving educational achievement up? So we've been capturing UC Davis College graduates at a three times rate that we were in 2014 and 2015. And you know, if you lay out the data and you lay out the fundamentals and you take action to move the data and the fundamentals, the jobs magically appear, you know? And I think what happens a lot of times is people look at business recruitment like you're selling a house, you know, so you're gonna go down, I want you to see my community, I'm gonna show you a building. Well, that's not really how people make business decisions. You know, it's an evidential exchange between the two. So we're number three in the U.S. and millennials now, right? They want to know what your 18 to 34-year-olds are doing. Educational attainment and achievement numbers are outpacing California in the U.S. These are things that Sacramento never, ever did because, you know, we were a happy-go-lucky state capital and we didn't want to work that hard. And Tahoe's uh, 60 miles away and wine country's 45 minutes away and it's sunny all the time. So that doesn't necessarily produce gritty behavior. So, you know, I take my good Ohio, Michigan roots and throw that into the California market and moved our community towards these very intense, determined behaviors. And, you know, I think our economic resiliency in this period right now is really going to be dramatically more favored because in 2008, we were the hardest hit recession in the West and we were the last to recover. And what I'm really hoping in the next two years we can set a standard of excellence to show that not only were we more just and equitable in our economy, doing a better job with the higher ed and our institutionals, but we actually shifted the fundamental. When I was in Phoenix, we fundamentally changed Phoenix's economy. When I was in Kalamazoo at Southwest Michigan first, we fundamentally changed that economy. And now in greater Sacramento, we're fundamentally changing the economy, not recruiting businesses, not doing press conferences, but doing the heavy lifting and the deep, gritty, determined behaviors it takes for you to restructure how you train people, you know, retool your educational systems. You know, like one of the things we're doing at Sac State is the engineering schools moving towards mobility. So a lot of times, you know, your, your training programs, your engineering schools lag the shifts in the market. So to sit down with the deans of your engineering school and get them to shift towards bioengineering for Aggie Squared, shift towards mobility for our new platform around that spot, that's just gritty tough work. Sac State's graduation rate has increased 400%. UC Davis college graduation recapture has increased 300%. Racial disparity between African-Americans and Latinos have gone from almost being the worst to one of the best. And you know you don't do that unless you're paying attention to the evidence, setting demanding goals for yourselves, and being a civic leader, right? I mean. You probably know, people get mad at me all the time. I don't know if you know that or not, but 
You know, I've, I've had a great run, 10 years in Phoenix. I just signed a five-year contract here. I've been here five years. I've almost been fired about 482 times. <laughs> so it's like when I was a kid, I knew just when to stop before my mother spanked my ass. You know, I still have that skill set as a CEO of my board. I know how to push them just hard enough and keep them uncomfortable without them, you know, getting too mad at me. But, you know, you got to believe if you're the leader, man, take the risks. That's and, right. and that's what we do. Well, a change is usually not comfortable. So I think there's uh -uh. a big dose of that as part of it. Well, Barry, thank you for being with us today. Like I said, I think you're the ideal guest for, for this episode, considering the week we've all had. Is there anything that you wish I had asked you or you wish you'd share with our audience that I didn't ask you? I think the most important thing, you know, rule number one, let's get safe. Once we're safe, hey, this is the greatest country in the world. Nothing's going to stop us. All right. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you.